0: Uh, This morning, as we open God's Word together, it'll be a little bit different, more of a pastoral address than necessarily a sermon uh, rooted in one text. And so, um, just kind of want to prepare you for that. But um, I I just want to start off by just affirming you as a church this morning. Um, I was blown away over the course of this last seven days I had a front row seat to conversations and actions that were taking place um, by members of this body over the course of these last seven days that were highly encouraging and blessing to me as your pastor. Uh, I was able to go to a viewing and a funeral on Wednesday evening and Thursday, and I saw some of our church body offer up their bodies to God as they wrapped their arms around those who were grieving and hugged them tight and prayed for them and offered encouragement to them and were present. But by their physical presence, we're just being there. It was a blessing to be able to witness that and observe that and see how you rallied around those who were grieving. I read about another instance where some of you showed up at someone's property who had recently had surgery and this isn't like a little postage stamp lot somewhere, it's a good nine acre sprawling compound in the middle of the country Um, and you guys went to work and labored with your backs and with your arms offering your bodies to God to care for those um, who were in need at that time. Uh, I had the opportunity as well this week uh, to sit in a rehab hospital in Plano on Friday afternoon and visit with another member of our church who's recently had a stroke. Um, and just to sit and hear her tell stories about how she felt loved and cared for and how people had moved toward her and her family during the midst of that time. Um, and how folks from her life group, I've seen some of the emails going back and forth of the meals that they've been setting up to care for that family. And I've heard her, I sat down with her and heard her tell stories about folks who frequently and faithfully have shown up to visit her and just converse with her and talk with her about how her recovery is going and to pray for her and to pray with her. It's been an incredible thing to see and to observe and to have a front row seat of. In another life group this last week, I saw some of you um, offer your bodies up to God by your physical presence and just sitting with people that you maybe you had seen before but never spoken to. And you begin to engage them. And for nearly an hour, I saw I watched some of you sit and just talk. With people who were new in the life of this church and in the life of that particular life group. Uh, On Friday I had a chance to have lunch with another member of this church. Or another recent um, uh, attender of this church who since God's stirring in their heart desire to teach. And desire to lead and desire to perhaps even birth a new life group or be a part of that kind of ministry one day. It's been incredible to have a, have a front row seat, right, to all these conversations and actions that have been going on, or at least to read some of the box scores of things that have taken place. It's been highly encouraging to me this week to see the church being the church to one another. It's been a blessing, and I want to say well done. I want to affirm you. For the job that you've done over the course of these last seven days in particular of being the church to one another. But one of the other emotions that stirred in me this week was a jealousy. It was a jealousy. And a a good jealousy, okay? Uh, Because what I wanted to do is celebrate all those things that were happening, but I also covet to see more of that. I'm jealous to see more of that for more people in this community. Several weeks ago, we talked about how there are thousands of people all around us, and that God is bringing tens of thousands of people to our community over the course of these next five, ten to fifteen years. And I'm jealous to see God do that kind of work through His people, through His body, in multiple instances and occasions, and the frequency and faithfulness of that continue to multiply and multiply and multiply in the life of this community so that this church, this Redeemer church, Jesus' church that he is planting here in the heart of this community would have a faithful gospel presence and a faithful gospel witness to everyone who drives these streets, lives in these homes, and is present in this community as it grows around us. I'm jealous to see more of what I've had the front row seat of this week, and I hope you are as well. But if we're going to see more of that, and if we're going to see the church continue to be the church, and that God be faithful to grow His church as He promised that He would, one, part of what that requires on our end is that we learn how to push together. We learn how to push together. Now, so I don't know if you've ever tried to move anything that's larger Like heavier, more substantial, have more substance and girth than you do? You ever tried to do that before? Tried to put your hands behind something like your truck stuck in the mud? Most of you have four-wheel drive, so it doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me. Um, And so you get truck stuck in the mud, you try to get behind it and push it out. Right? you can what, what one or two people pushing on something that may not be able even to budge, but if you get a whole host of people who are pushing on something in the same direction, with the same passion, with the same kind of fervency, they're pushing in the same direction, what, what a handful of people can't budge, a whole host of people can move and roll forward. And listen, there is nothing heavier, there is nothing more substantial, there is nothing more of more substance, there is nothing weightier than planting a local church to the glory of God and for the good of those who are in this community. There is nothing heavier than that. And if we're going to see God raise up a people here in a church here that has a faithful gospel witness in this community, then it's going to require all of us putting our hands on this big boulder called planting a church and pushing together. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning: is what does it look like for us to push together, to push together? So there's there's five things. There's only four letters, but there's five. Like you, that's me, okay? Like, I get it. All right. There's five things. Four letters. Right, and so that's what we want to talk about this morning. How do we push to be a part of planting a church for the thousands here and the tens of thousands who are coming to this area? And the first two things are this: that if we're going to push together, there needs to be constant prayer and consistent presence. That we need to engage in constant prayer and consistent presence. Look in Romans 12:12. 12, 12, we've been in Romans 12 for a few weeks and we'll continue to be this fall, but in Romans 12:12, 12, 12, the apostle Paul writes these words. He says, "Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer." The idea there is a constancy, a diligence, a persistence, a perseverance that is waiting on God to answer with expectation for him to do what only he is able to do. And Paul calls us as a church to get on our knees consistently, to get on our knees constantly and to be in prayer. Now some of us this morning are like, man, this is church, so of course, right? It's like the kind of, kind of prayer that's like, of course, this is a church, so prayer's gonna be at the top of the list. But that's not the kind of prayer that helps plant churches. The kind of prayer that helps plant churches and establish gospel witnesses is the kind of prayer that is desperate and dependent, knowing that unless God answers, that unless God acts, unless God moves, that we can have all kinds of human activity with no real advancement. We can spin our wheels and not really ever get anywhere. So there's, there's a desperation and a dependency. It's the kind of prayer that recognizes that without God working, that all of our human activity is in vain. It's in vain. And we can show up and we can open the doors and we can set up and we can run sound and we can do all kinds of things working kids ministry we can do all kinds of things around here but unless God works all of this is for naught. It's the kind of desperate independent prayer the kind of prayer that realizes our limitations there's only so much that we can do but knows that we serve an unlimited, unrestrained and unhindered God. That kind of prayer That we need to be constant in. And Jesus teaches us to pray this way. In Luke 18, he tells a story of a persistent widow, right? a, A lady who has lost her husband who keeps pounding on the door of an unjust judge saying, give me a verdict in my favor. And she keeps asking day after day after day after day. Asking and asking and asking. And when Jesus tells that story, we're told in Luke's gospel that he tells that story to teach us to pray and never to lose heart. But to always persevere. Because eventually that unjust judge answers the woman's prayer because she persists and she perseveres and there's a constancy and a diligence to it. And if that unjust judge would answer that woman after her persistence, how much more would a just one answer his people when they pray in alignment with his passion and his heart? A constancy in prayer And I think a part of this persevering in prayer is to demonstrate that this is kind of no fly-by-night desire. Some of us have made the mistake of signing up our kids for things that they asked to do one time. You've been there before? They asked to do it one time. All right, let's run out. They've never asked to do anything before. Run out, sign them up, right? First practice. I'm done. I've learned that lesson. Had to force them to finish the season. You started this, you're gonna finish it. Right? But you don't have to sign up again. Now, I wait to hear like 37 requests to be a part of that activity before I go sign them up again. Why? Because there's no fly-by-night desires, no flippant requests. They keep faithfully pursuing and faithfully asking and faithfully asking. Listen, before before we move from south of Royce City into the heart of fate, our elders prayed faithfully, persistently for 12 calendar months for where God would lead us, how God would direct us, where God would guide us. Instead of you go, man, a whole year praying for one thing. Yes, every time we showed up. <laughs> I'm looking at Kevin because every time we showed up, I can remember like, we're going to pray about this again? Yes, we're going to pray about this again. All right, let's, let's get it, right? Let's pray for God to show up, for God to direct and God to guide There's a persistence and a perseverance in that prayer. And it needs to happen in our personal prayer lives. And it needs to happen in our corporate prayer life. In our personal prayer lives, we need to be praying for the things that are on God's heart. For the mission that He has given us. The great commission of making disciples. See, oftentimes when we pray, whether it be individually or corporately, we pray about things going on in our bodies or other friends' bodies, Right? Pray for their health. We pray for you know God to heal Aunt Josie's ingrown toenail. We pray for the cat that's sick. I'm not sure if you should do that or not. Um, but, but we pray for all these things, like our health of our physical bodies. But when was the last time that individually or corporately you got on your knees to pray for the health of this body? For this body. That God would awaken a people here whose hearts are to share the gospel, to shape disciples, and to send missionaries into our communities and across the globe to pray for this body. A couple of weeks ago in our life group, um, a lady who is new to the church, um, she doesn't speak much English, she understands lots of it. And she was there present in our life group and her daughter was with her. Uh, to be able to interpret for her and translate for her and uh, we got done with our discussion at the end of that time she's sitting to my left and we're both on separate couches and she, her daughter says my mother would like to say something to you and so I'm, I'm kind of okay I'm not sure where this is going so I would like to say something to you and so she, she speaks to her daughter and her daughter speaks to me and she says she wants you to know that she prays for you every day every day And her daughter's like, she does. I hear her every morning when I wake up. <laughs> Is there that kind of diligence in our prayer life individually? Is that a kind of diligence in our prayer life corporately? Is it woven into everything that we do as life groups, as serving teams? We're praying for God to bring people to sit in these chairs to hear the gospel proclaimed, to send us out to be missionaries in the lives of people who will never set foot in these doors. So if we're going to push together, it's going to require a diligence and a perseverance and a persistence in prayer. Because we can have all kinds of human activity and no real advancement. Second of all, second of all, a consistent presence. A consistent presence. See, a part of pushing with us is being present to push. Part of pushing with us is being present to Push. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the author of Hebrews says this, he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now, th- there's an interesting correlation there in the text where the author of Hebrews says, let us consider how we're going to stir one another up to love and to good deeds. And then in the very next breath, he says, not neglecting to gather, to meet together as is the habit of some there seems to be a connection between the stirring and the meeting right between the stirring let's stir one another up and don't not neglect meeting together there's a connection between the stirring and the meeting and here's what i think that it is is that the stirring oftentimes not always but oftentimes happens through the meeting the stirring happens in the meeting. As God's praises are sung, as God's word is preached, as God's people are serving, the stirring happens in the meeting. See, I I don't know if you've ever been out on an old piece of property with like an old farm tank where there's maybe some cows that drink out of it every once in a while, but in the middle of the summer, whenever the rain stops and the waters in that tank begin to recede, what begins to happen in that tank is oftentimes there's kind of a layer of scum that kind of begins to develop on top of the water and some, some algae that might begin to bloom in that. And a part of that is there's no fresh water input that's coming into it constantly to keep it stirred up. And listen, our lives and our souls and our hearts are very much the same way. Is that whenever there's not fresh input that's coming in to continue to stir us, we tend to stagnate. And we tend to kind of coast and put it on cruise and, and, and this stirring happens through the meeting whenever we show up and God, God, God speaks and God works and God uses us and there's all kinds of things that are going on around us and in us as His praises are sung, as His people serve, as His word goes forth. You see, any given Sunday, any given Sunday, God could stir in you. He could, he could, his Holy Spirit could begin to stir your soul now, I'm not saying that God only works on Sundays, right? Like we work all week long, take off Sundays. He works on Sundays, takes off the other six. That's not how, that's what I'm saying. God works, God can stir you through reading the word on your own. God can stir you through a book of one of your favorite authors. He can stir you through a podcast of one of your favorite preachers. But one of the ways the Bible says you are to be stirred is, not by, is by not neglecting to be together with God's people assembled under God's word. Because the stirring oftentimes happens through the meeting. Any given Sunday, any given Sunday, God could stir you and turn your world right side up. See, we're born upside down. (laughs) And God could turn parts of your world right side up any given Sunday. Any given Sunday, God could tenderly touch your soul. He could tenderly touch your soul. And He could begin to heal hurts that have haunted you for years Any given Sunday, any given Sunday, He could graciously reorder your priorities and reset your trajectory for life. God could expose sin in your life that's been hiding under the surface and out of sight, and He could set you free from sinful patterns of behavior that you've given yourself to year after year, year after year after year. He could uncover prejudice toward those of a different skin color or of a different zip code or ethnicity. God, any given Sunday, could open your eyes to see that you've never really crossed the line of faith. He could take a lifeless, cold, dark heart and he could kindle it with a flame to cause it to burn brightly for his glory as it comes alive and is now warm and full of fire. Any given Sunday, God God by his grace could move you from making a living to making a life and laying your life down for his glory and the good of the world. Any given Sunday. Any given Sunday, God could work in you. But listen, consider this as well. Any given Sunday, God could work through you. Now this is probably where I get, you, you should probably get a little bit even more excited. I don't see it yet. Ho- hopefully we will. Right, any given Sunday, God could work through you as well. Listen, any given Sunday, God could use you to stir someone else through a word that you speak to them in passing in the hall. Any given Sunday in one of those kids' classrooms up there, God could use you as you present the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, as we work our kids through the Gospel Project curriculum, showing them Jesus from all the scriptures, as we work them through that, any given Sunday, a word that you speak, God could use as the flint to spark a fire in the soul of a child that he has been stacking wood in for years. And that you could be a part, a tool in God's hands when he reaches down and brings them from death to life. Now listen, I've killed lots of birds and caught lots of fish in my time. But there is nothing more exhilarating. There is nothing more exhilarating than being a part of that. When God says, live, and someone, their eyes are open, the scales fall off, and their ears hear for the first time the truth and beauty of Jesus Christ. And any given Sunday, God could use you to stir In someone else's soul. Any given Sunday, there might be somebody who walks through those doors that you greet and engage and receive and invite to your life group. And they come to your life group and they get discipled. And they become the next life group leader that launches out to be a part of planting families of missionary servants all across Rockwall County. Any given Sunday, God could work in you. Any given Sunday, God could work through you. But only if you're present. Now listen, I shared this with somebody earlier, a couple of weeks ago, and they were like, you you realize, right, that you're getting ready to roll this out right at the beginning, right right as we move into hunting season. And I said, "I, I know, like it's that magical time of year where all the men smell like deer urine, all the women are diffusing essential oils to try and cover the odor, and all the waterfowl and woodland creatures are cowering in fear. Like, I I know. But listen, there is always a season. If not now, when? If not now, when? Like at the beginning of camping season, or the beginning of Christmas holidays, or the beginning of fishing season in February. Looking forward to that one. At the like in the beginning, right at the beginning of baseball season, at spring break, beginning of summer vacations. If not now, when? If not now, when? There is no better time than now. Now some of you are going, so so what you're saying is we got to be here every single Sunday. Like we can't ever leave and go anywhere. Listen, I'm not saying that. We are a church, not a cult. Okay? I don't have any Kool-Aid for you to drink. I don't have a compound for you to live on. (laughs) I don't. But if we're going to be a part of planting a church and help pushing it forward, there's got to be a consistent presence here. I'm not saying that you can't leave, but what I'm praying for is that God would stir in some of your hearts that you would want to be here. And you would want to put your hands on the boulder and help us push. I would ask you to consider what it looks like for your family, or if you're a single adult for you, for you to be here. Three out of the four Sundays for the next 12 months to be here with us more than you're absent from us. Look, I get that there's going to be sicknesses. I get that there's going to be trips that you've got scheduled. I understand all those things. I'm not going to be here every, all 52 Sundays out of the year. I'm not. But I'm asking you to consider what it looks like for you to be here with us more than you're absent from us and have a consistent presence and help us push. Third, third, if we're going to push together, it's got to be, we've, we've got to engage in pursuing a healthy unity. A healthy unity. In Romans 12, 5, the Apostle Paul says, Though we many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Next week we'll look at the, the, the gifts that Paul talks about there in Romans 12, that, that section of Romans 12. But what I want you to see this week is this. Is that Paul says, the church is one body made up of many members. One body, many members, right? And as all those members begin to push together in the same direction, asking God to do what only God is able to do and kindle hearts and awaken lives, showing up and being present, pursuing unity as we push in the same direction for the same mission toward the same vision. We're working in unity. And no matter how God has wired you, no matter how God has gifted you, that you're using those gifts and that skill, skill sets to push in that direction toward that mission and toward that vision. Now some of you may be thinking right now, like, I already use my gifts. And many of you do. Some of you are serving in multiple ways, in multiple areas. Some of you are leading life groups. You're, 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 you're teaching kids ministry. You're helping with, with tech and setup and all those kinds of things. So you're like, what else can we do? Here's, here's, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Right? If we're going to be a part of planting a church here, there'll be a gospel movement in Rockwall County for years to come. Right? Then what, what, we, what we've got to do is shift our mindset. We've got to shift our mindset a little bit and, because what we need as a, as, a, as a church plant is more owners of ministry, not just doers of ministry. Right? Do you know the difference between an owner and a renter? <laughs> There's one huge difference Some of you are renting right now, some of you own right now. And you know what I'm talking about, right? You can already sense what I'm about to say, right? If you're leasing somewhere, you're renting property from someone, when something breaks or there's a problem, what do you do? You pick up the phone and call the landlord. And he fixes the problem. Or she fixes the problem. But When you own a property, there is no landlord to call. (laughs) And so what do you do? You spearhead the repair. You engage in fixing the problem. Whenever you own. Whenever there's a sense of ownership in that. Now you might consult with a variety of other people and get their perspectives and their opinions and ways that you might go about doing this or the best method by which to go and do this. But at the end of the day, the owners are spearheading fixing the problem. And so when we talk about needing people who own ministry... What we're talking about is people who, whenever they identify issues in the life of this body, because we're all members of it, when they identify issues, they don't call the landlord. <laughs> they go, how can I be a part of filling that hole? Back in the spring, I had someone ask me, they said, you know, with all the seniors graduating, what's your plan for college ministry? And the, you know, the first thought that ran through my mind was you. You. <laughs> You're my plan. <laughs> you see the problem, you're a part of the solution. Right? We've had people walk by before and say, hey man, you guys could really hang that banner a little bit differently, it'd be much more efficiently, as opposed to saying, hey, let me make the frame that I just told you you needed to make, and let me come and hang it for you every Sunday. Right? That's the difference between owning and renting. And we, if, if we're gonna be able to push in the same direction as all parts of the same body, we're gonna have to be pushing together. And the members taking ownership of ministry. My job description in the Bible and our elders' job description in the Bible, a part of it in Ephesians chapter 4 is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, not do all the work of the ministry. And so we need people who are willing to say, you know what, sign me up, I want to own something. Working toward healthy unity. Fourth if we're going to be a, a, a part of planting a, a gospel movement here in the heart of Rockwall County, this is going to require faithful stewardship. Faithful stewardship. In, in verse 11 of Romans 12, Paul says this. He says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Now one of the ways that we serve the Lord is by being a manager of those things that God has graciously put on loan to us. Right, Our bodies on our own They belong to God by virtue of creation and by virtue of his redeeming work in our lives if you're a Christian. They're on loan from him. We use them for his service, right? Our time is not our own. God has marked out our days from the foundations of creation. He knows exactly how many numbers hairs hairs are on our head and how many days we will be living, breathing beings on this planet. And so our time is not our own. It belongs to him. So we steward our time well, steward our bodies well, offering them to him. But there's two particular areas I want us to consider stewarding this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and hit the first one to get it out of the way because that's where most of your minds are going right now. Alright? One of the things that is on loan to you from God are the financial resources that God has given you. And if we're going to plant and push in the same direction, a part of it's going to involve faithfully stewarding our finances and serving the Lord. Now listen, I want you to know something at the very outset of this point is this, is that I'm actively right now engaged in trying to raise funds. I had two meetings this week, one with another church locally in our area, who the, whom the pastor and I have begun to develop a budding friendship, and he is about, 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 about 15 years ahead of where we are. And as we sat down at lunch earlier this week, he said, how can, how can the church that I lead and me personally be a blessing to your church? We're about to roll out this this system that we've used for a while. Do you guys need this system? Are there any one-time gifts that we can make to you right now that your church needs? I want to build some stuff in the budget for next year to help come alongside and financially resource you and give some, even, I even asked them for some coaching because I know that I've got rough edges still, lots of them. that become very apparent to me over the course of the last nine months. And I need somebody else speaking into my life at that level and helping to shepherd and pastor me. But he's like, how can we be a part of blessing your congregation? I met with an old friend this week and shared with him what God was doing and our vision for what God would do here. And he said, man, sign us up to be a part of faithfully supporting that work over and above what we're already giving to our local church. So I'm out actively raising funds. And I tell you that because I want you to understand that what I'm trying to do right now is trying to offset my salary burden on this congregation so that we have leveraged funds to use in ministry in our community. So I want you to know this morning when I ask you for faithful stewardship, I am not after your money so I can buy a new boat (laughs) or build a new house. In fact, I'm not after your money at all, but what I'm after is your heart. Because all throughout the Bible, there's a connection between the heart and the wallet. Everywhere on the pages of Scripture. And that's what I'm after. I'm after your heart. Now, some of you are here this morning, you're like, man, I'm tapped out at 20 bucks a week. I get it. I get it. Right, there's some of you who have medical bills that you're trying to pay. There's some of you who have um, uh, some of it by 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 virtue of your own poor decisions at times in the past that you're trying to pay off some debt and get out from underneath that. And so you're like Tap- I'm tapped out at 20 bucks a month. Some of you are like I'm tapped out at almost two grand a month. And for some of you, that that thought just like blew your mind because you're like I I can never imagine giving two grand a month to ministry, even if I made 20 grand right a month. But a part of it, see, part of the issue for us in our minds is that for some of us, the reason that we don't allocate resources and faithfully steward the finances God has given us is because we've never really tasted the joy of sacrificial giving. All throughout the Bible, there's a connection. In fact, there's a parable that Jesus tells about a man stumbling upon a treasure in a field. And when he finds that treasure, what does he do? In his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has in order to acquire the field. Have you ever tasted the joy of sacrificially giving? I'm praying that we would get a taste of that. And when we get a taste of it, we, couldn't, we, that we, we want more and more and more and more and more. Of, being, of leveraging and giving away and giving away to faithfully steward our finances to serve the Lord. But the the second thing that I wanna uh, address this morning is this, is not only do we need to steward our finances well, we also need to steward our influence well. God has given you, some of you in this room, influence with whole hosts of people in our community. Whole hosts of people. He's graciously given you an influence with a circle of people. And here's what I wanna challenge you to do this morning over the course of these next next couple of weeks. I want to challenge you to extend an invitation to them. All right. There are invite cards on the back counter there, on the kiosk on the way out as well. Pick up a few of those if you don't have any left. Put them in your pocket, take them with you, and begin to invite people. Use that influence God has given you in your fishing clubs, in your hunting clubs, in your running clubs, in, in all these aspects and areas, in your businesses that you're starting, and all the folks that you're interfacing with and interacting with to invite people here. Now listen, I, w- I want to go ahead and make a commitment to you this morning that what I, I know I'm painfully aware of the fact that the portion sizes at times on Sunday mornings have been more than people can palate, And I want you to know that I'm trying to make headway in that. I'm working to edit and chisel and work away, becoming better at making stuff that's very heavy, very accessible. Okay? And so invite people to be here as we gather to sing the praises of God, as we gather to come underneath His Word, and as we're sent out on mission into our community. Leverage your influence at CrossFit, those of you who are in the gym on five days a week. right? Leverage your influence in all these areas and arenas of life to be used for the sake of planting a gospel movement in the heart of Rockwall County for the thousands here and the tens of thousands who are coming steward your finances steward your influence and then finally steward your gifts you've been gifted and let me just go ahead we're going to talk a lot about that next week so I'm going to push pause there but what I do want to say this week is this some of you have been pushing with us for a very long time and you may be tired and that's okay and if you need rest I want to encourage you to take it. Okay? Finally, if we're going to push together, if we're going to push together, we must embrace a mindset of active hospitality. Active hospitality. Romans 12 13, Paul says, Seek to show hospitality. Now, biblical hospitality is not just opening your home. You've heard me talk about this before, some of you. Not just opening your home to throw parties. Okay? Um, it's a requirement of one of, of elders that they be hospitable. I don't think Paul has in mind that elders need to be good party planners. <laughs> so it's not just opening your home, it's opening your life up to other people. Opening your life up to them. And we have a command in Romans 12, 13 to seek to show that, to actively engage in that. Now some of you have heard me talk about this multiple times in the past, and you're going, man, I really wish he would just move on from that right? Because I'm like, I'm pretty nice to everybody that I meet, right? I shake their hand if they ask a question of me, I answer them. If they have something to say to me, I respond back to them. I'm pretty nice to everyone that I meet. But listen, what I, what I want you to consider is that, that that's not what the Bible means when it talks about hospitality, that you're just being nice to everyone that you meet, but that you're opening your life up to taking new people into your life to receiving them into the rhythms and routines and the circles that you are in. Some of you are thinking, well, what if I seek to do this, if I actively pursue doing this, not just kind of waiting for people to show up on my doorstep, but I actively pursue it, and they pull away. And they pull away. Join the club. Okay? Every, Every pastor and shepherd that I've ever spoken to has actively pursued opening their life up to people who do nothing but pull away from them. In fact, the chief shepherd experienced that as well. And I think that's why all of us who would engage in this kind of ministry, of p- working with people, they experience it too. People will pull away from you. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm in a place in my life right now where like, and I'm pretty good. right? i got a good family. i got good friends. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with myself. I don't need other people to affirm me. I don't need other people to come around me. I, I've got enough friends. But here's the issue. Hospitality. Active hospitality is not about. The end goal of it is not to make more friends. But to make more disciples. To make more disciples. By opening your life up to other people. And investing in them. Investing in them. Look at how Jesus made disciples. Jesus didn't come into a building. And put out a sign. And say Let's, okay, class time at 6.30. On Sunday nights. Roll in. I'm going to teach you. What did Jesus do? He lived with these men for three years. He traveled with them. He ate with them. Right? He, they, they watched him do his works. He sent them out. They came back. He debriefed with them and talked through what they encountered whenever he sent them out on mission. For three years, Jesus' life was as wide open to these men called the apostles or the disciples as the gates at the ballpark in Arlington on open day except without the ticket prices and security guards. It was wide open to them. See, our aim is to seek to show, pursue it actively, be looking for people and places to open our lives up to, to bring them in, not so that we can make more friends, but so we can make disciples who would make disciples, because when they see you opening your life up to others, then they would be inspired themselves as they're taught and trained and equipped to open their lives up to others as well. This is a part of what it means to to push. This This is what as your pastor I'm asking for. That you would constantly pray. That you'd be consistently present. That you'd pursue a healthy unity by pushing in the same direction with us and leveraging your gifts to do so. That you would steward your finances and your influence and leverage those things well for the sake of God's glory, His church, and His mission. And that you would be active in engaging in hospitality. Now, the last thing is this, is that if we're going to push, it cannot be mechanical. It can't be mechanical. We've got to learn to push with our hearts. To push with our hearts. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, we read this text already, be not slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. There's a negative command and a positive one. The negative one is this: don't do what you do half-heartedly. Right? You, you remember the at times in school I was this kid, right? I would do just enough to get by. <laughs> right? If I could get a, a like a, a B minus or C, plus, man, I'm good. And Paul's saying, don't be that kid. Don't do what you do half-heartedly. Don't pray half-heartedly. Don't be present half-heartedly. Don't pursue unity half-heartedly. Don't do any of these things, extend hospitality half-heartedly. Don't do any of of these things half-heartedly. Be not slothful in zeal. But the flip side of that is, he says, be fervent in spirit. And that word fervent literally means boil. In other words, turn the temperature, fan the flame of the fire in your heart to where your spirit is Boiling. Now, some of you go, well, my personality's not that way. Like, I'm a pretty laid-back, chill dude. Right? I'm pretty introverted. And so I'm not very, very passionate. I don't get really excited very easily. But listen, I don't care what your personality is. There are people in this congregation and in other congregations that I've been a part of previously who have personalities that are all over the map, but there's still a fire that is burning in their souls. So no matter what your personality is, Paul says, fan into flame this fire that is in your soul, and don't push half-heartedly, but push fervently with your heart and throw it into it. And that last clause in that verse, I think, helps us understand how to do that. How to continue to fan the flame is that you what you have to do is you have to see who you are serving. You're not serving. First and foremost, you're not serving the people who walk through these doors or the people who are part of this family now. First and foremost, you are serving the Lord. First and foremost, you are serving the Lord. Through your your constant prayer, through your consistent presence, through your pursuit of healthy unity, through faithful stewardship, through active hospitality, you are serving the Lord. No matter how old you are or how young you are, you are serving the Lord. No matter how debilitated your body may feel or how invigorated your body may feel, you are serving the Lord when you engage in these things. You have to see who you are serving. See, I'm praying right now, right now for God to awaken in here and bring from outside of here old men and young men. Older women, women don't get old, they just get older older women and young women who would with hearts of flame burn brightly for the glory of God in his church for his people and for his world i'm praying for old older men like Caleb You know Caleb's story in the Old Testament when the Israelites got into the land and there's this one stubborn place full of these massive giants and Caleb advanced, well advanced in years beyond all of his companions. He said, sign me up for those guys. I want to go take that land. See, I'm praying for God that God would send older men into the life of this congregation who would say, I want to be like Caleb in my generation." I want to be like Caleb in my generation. I don't want to coast into the last decade or two of my life in this comfortable ease in an easy chair. Listen, no matter what you think of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, one thing can be said about both of them is neither one of them are coasting into their late 60s or 70s with a I've done my time mentality. I'm praying that God would raise up men. Older men like that in the church who would leverage the, all their years of wisdom and experience toward planting and pursuing gospel movements in our community. Praying for older women like the prophetess Anna in Luke chapter 2 who for 80, who's 84 years old and yet she still shows up faithfully in the temple every day and she's on her knees asking God to come and redeem His people and waiting for that to happen. I'm praying for young men like Joshua who, drew, who would draw a line in the sand and say no matter whom you serve ask for me and my house and it will be more than a piece of cedar above my doorpost. But it will be the directions and decisions that we make as a family that we will serve the Lord. For young women like Hannah who are faithfully crying out before God for Him to answer. I'm praying for older men who in their last decade, and the women who in their last decades of life, they would dream big dreams of God. Big dreams of God, how God might use them. And for young men and young women, who regardless of the busyness of their schedules right now, they would dream big dreams of how God might use them, as they say no to, over scheduling themselves and their families to say yes to serving the Lord with their whole heart. And I'm praying that God would awaken that desire and that spark in us as we see to serve him, as we see how he served us. As we see how he served us. In the Gospels, Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And how would he serve? By giving his life as a ransom for many. I want to close with this. Earlier this week, we were watching the Jungle Book, the, the, the newest CG animated version that came out, and my kids and I and Karen we were all sitting on the floor, we kind of ch- checking out the movie on Monday evening after a long Labor Day weekend of festivities. And there was a part in the early part of the movie where Shere Khan, the tiger who is after Mowgli, the young man cub who's living in the jungle being protected by the pack of wolves, he wanders into the watering hole. And as he wanders into the watering hole, he begins to pick up the smell of, he says, what he says almost smells like a man cub in our presence. And he paces around the watering hole, and as he looks, and he can see the young boy cowering behind the rock and the wolves up there protecting him. And Sher Khan asks this question. He issues a threat with this question How many lives, how many lives is a man cub worth? In other words, how many will have to die for the one? And as that question rang out in my mind as I watched that movie, I began to think through the biblical paradigm and pattern and equation. Because in the Bible, it is not how many will have to die for the one, but which one will die for the many. And Jesus says, it's me. I have come to give my life as a ransom for many to serve you. And unless you're serving out of that motivation, you will grow weary and lose heart. So see who you're serving and that he has served you. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we thank you for the opportunity to gather and to, to dream a little bit about how you might use us as a church to reach the thousands who are here now and the thousands and tens of thousands that you're bringing to this community in the next 5, 10, 15 years. God, would you awaken and stir our hearts to push? Would you raise up faithful prayer warriors, young and old? I pray that there would be middle school students in this room who would be on their knees this week in prayer. For this body. And they would do it diligently and with perseverance and persistence. I pray there would be older men and older women in this congregation who would be on their knees this week in constant prayer. That as they drive to and from work, as they're a part of conversations, that they would have the mindset of praying for this body of believers that they are a member of. God, would you awaken our hearts and cause us to want to be here, to have a consistent presence so that we are here more than we are not, so that you might stir in us and you might stir through us. God, might we be a people who are all putting our hands on the boulder and pushing in the same direction, that we're pushing toward the same mission and toward the same vision of sharing the gospel, shaping disciples, and sending missionaries to be, to, to, to plant more families of missionary servants in our community as life groups would spread all across Rockwall County for the sake of your glory and not our own. Would you help us to be faithful stewards of our time, of our bodies, of our finances, and of our influence? And Father, would you help us to be active in hospitality from young to old? I pray that there would be middle school and high school students in this room this morning who would get a vision for what it looks like to open their lives up to others as opposed to constantly complaining about how no one's opening their life up to them. May it start here, God. May it start here. And may we push with all our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.